Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? The 23rd chapter of 2 Samuel begins with these words, 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 1. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, At the end of his life, as his eyes grew dim and his health began to fail him, Scripture tells us that David was moved upon by the familiar anointing of God, and he wrote one final song. In the prelude to that song, David recalls his humble roots. He identifies himself as the son of Jesse, the youngest son, the one that was left in the field when the others went off to war, the one that was forgotten when the prophet came to call. But David also remembers how God raised him up on high, how he was picked, hand-picked as the servant of the Lord. He remembers how God lifted him from the sheepfold to the throne. One day he was caring for the ewes and the lambs, and the next day God had established him as a shepherd over the entire house of Jacob. Then David remembers the greatest treasure of his life, how God made him the sweet psalmist of Israel, how the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him, and inspired him to write songs and sing songs that inspired the spiritual life of the people of God and spoke prophetically of the coming Messiah. And now at the end of his life, he gives himself over to that familiar and special anointing as God breathes through him and produces the sweet melodies and prophetic words that will make up his final song. David begins by reflecting on the everlasting covenant that God has made with him, the enduring promise that the throne of Israel will always be the throne of David, even until the day that the final king, that ultimate son of David, forever establishes his kingdom for all of eternity. The throne of Israel will always be the throne of David. And from there, David begins to look back over his life, and express his deep affection and appreciation for the men who stood with him, those who rallied around him at the cave of Adullam. They were the outcast from society. They were those who found themselves on the wrong side of the law, often by no fault of their own, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the rejected. But from those humble beginnings... They would become known across the entire world for all of time as David's mighty men. They stood by him in those early days when King Saul and all of his troops were hunting David with murder in their hearts. They defended him. They watched over him. They rallied to him and they followed him wherever he led them and they distinguished themselves. On the many battlefields that defined the nation of Israel, and the battles that established the throne of David, they were there. Among those great and mighty men, the song tells us there were a cohort of 30 that distinguished themselves in battle. But besides those 30, there were three that stood apart. Their exploits were extraordinary. 
They were like no other soldiers. Among the three, there was the mighty Jashobim who killed 800 men with a spear in a single battle. There was Eleazar who stood his ground against the Philistines when the rest of the army of Israel fled the field of battle, but Eleazar would not yield, and he fought that day with such a ferocity that the Bible says that when the fighting was finally finished, he couldn't release his grip on his sword. His hand had literally stuck in that position. Then there was Shema. Shema who stood alone against an entire army to defend a poor field of barley because he refused to surrender one more inch of Israel to her enemies. He refused to see one more field laid to waste. And so he stood alone against an army and God gave him victory. And as David's mind wanders back over the years, one particular memory of the three comes to the forefront of his mind. He remembered a time when an enemy garrison had occupied Bethlehem. David, of course, grew up in Bethlehem, and he no doubt had fond memories of the sweet water that flowed from the well of Bethlehem. And as he sat in a dry camp, weary and exhausted from hard days of bitter resistance against a strong and determined enemy, David reminisced over the many times that he had made the journey to that well in Bethlehem and dropped the bucket down that shaft and hauled up a, a bucket of clear, cold, sweet, refreshing water. And in David's fondest memories, he realized that the water from that well was sweeter than the water that he'd ever drunk from any other well in the world. There was no well that could compare to that well. And now David is in a hard place. The country is at war. The Philistines have taken Bethlehem. David has seen the destruction of their occupation all around him. And as he huddles with his army in the cave of Adullam, David reflects on the tragedies of the Philistine invasion. Perhaps... On that very day, he had ridden through the ruins of his own childhood home, the house of Jesse, which had been utterly destroyed by the marauding Philistines. Whatever the circumstances may have been, David was in an emotionally nostalgic mood that night as his heart ached for years gone by, for simpler times, a time that was in many ways more satisfying than the whirlwind of life that he was now caught in. And in a moment of weakness, as his heart ached with a thirst that simply could not be satisfied, David uttered what was foremost in his mind, in his own words in the song, 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 15. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me. Drink of the waters of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. It was a heartfelt longing, a compelling thirst that yearned for so much more than just the water from a specific well. David was giving voice to the deep longing of the soul, a longing that is best characterized by thirst. 
through much of his life. And in many of his songs, David has characterized his yearning for the presence of God in this manner as thirst. It was much more than just a desire for water. It was much more than just a desire for a cool drink from a sweet well. Uh, Even though in this instance it embodied itself in David's precious memories of the sweet water that flowed from the well of Bethlehem. But that well symbolized so much more to David than just a place to drink. It was a longing for peace that passes all understanding. It was a longing to drink deeply from a refreshing that only comes from the presence of God. It was a longing for a satisfaction that the soul aches for. Elsewhere, David would express the longing of his heart in his songs, and he would say it this way in the 42nd Psalm, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? In the 63rd Psalm, he would say, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. That's the longing that was coursing through David's soul on that fateful day outside of Bethlehem. It was more than just a craving for the waters from an individual well. It was a desire for the satisfaction of the presence of God. But those three warriors, they had no way to know that. They only knew that their leader, this man that they loved and respected with all of their hearts, this man that they would willingly lay their lives down for, their king was thirsty. And he was thirsty for the water from Bethlehem's well. And there was no other well in the world that would satisfy that thirst. So without even letting David know what they were planning, they slipped away into the night on a fool's errand. Three mighty men against the entire garrison of Bethlehem. Heedless to the mortal danger that stood before them, They marched into the darkness, and though it probably took them most of the night to cover the 12 miles from Adullam to Bethlehem, when they arrived at that besieged city, they came in like a whirlwind. They fought with a ferocity that was legendary. The Bible said they broke through the Philistine garrison. They drew water from that well in Bethlehem, and they carried it back to their king. David said it this way in the 16th verse of the psalm. And the three mighty men break through the host of Philistine and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. Recognizing the unequaled bravery and sacrifice of these men who have given their all on behalf of their king, who have laid their very lives on the line to bring him a drink from Bethlehem's well. David refused to drink the water. Instead, the Bible said he poured it out unto the Lord. 
that word, that verb for poured it out indicates that the water was more than just something he poured out. He poured it out as a sacrifice to the Lord. That, that word has to do with a sacrificial offering. He was saying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I recognize what this cost, and I'm not worthy of this cost. I give it to you. David recognized that that drink of water, that that refreshing, cool water had been bought with blood. And he was not worthy of such a sacrifice. The 17th verse of the song, he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the water that came from the well? Is not this the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. David poured the water on the ground, and he dedicated their sacrifice to the Lord. And at the end of his life, as he wrote his final song, this was the story that rose to the forefront of his mind. He sang the ballad of his great and mighty men. He told the story of their daring exploits, but there was no way that David, even under the anointing of God, could ever have recognized the prophetic significance of the story that he told about a whale at Bethlehem. He had no idea that the prophets who ministered to Israel years later would speak of the visitation of God as a river, as a fountain, as a pool, as a spring, as a stream, and as a well. He could not have known that the longing for God that is common to the hearts of all of humanity would ever after be characterized by thirst and that the water that could satisfy that soul-felt thirst uh, could never be purchased with anything less than the blood of sacrifice. The prophets would declare in Isaiah 41 and 17, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I'll open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of valleys. I'll make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. God would affirm that just as David's mighty men responded to David's deep thirst, so he would make a way where there seemed to be no way. He would hear the cry of the thirsty, and he would pour out a refreshing on the souls of people. He'd make a pool of water in the middle of the wilderness. Isaiah 44 and 3 said, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Listen, I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. I come to this pulpit on a Sunday morning to remind somebody in this house uh, that there is a deep longing for God that can only be characterized as thirst. It is a thirst uh, that resides within the heart of humanity. It's a part of the human experience. Uh, It is a longing that all people everywhere are deeply familiar with and nothing will satisfy that longing. Nothing will quench that thirst except the Spirit of the Lord which He has promised to pour out upon the thirsty. There is no well like that well in Bethlehem. There is no well like the water that flows from a well in Bethlehem. There is no satisfaction like the living water that flows from Jesus Christ. 
So many people seek to quench the thirsting of their soul in all the wrong places. One prophet said they drink from the cracked cisterns of this world. They indulge themselves with water that can never satisfy their thirst. They feel leaky vessels. And as soon as they start drinking, the water starts fleeing from them. They cannot find satisfaction. Oh, but they try. It comes under the guise of many things. For some, it's alcohol. For others, it's an opiate. There are some who seek their satisfaction from the job, their position, their income, or their many material possessions. Still others seek it in the sinful pursuits of this life and the carnal pleasures of the flesh. But all of those activities have one thing in common. They will never satisfy the thirsting of the soul. The more you drink of the waters of this world, the thirstier your soul becomes. Have you ever noticed how sin never satisfies? It's always yearning for the next fix. It's always reaching for one more night of pleasure, one more drink, one more pill, one more web page, just, just one more moment. It leads you on with a false promise that the next high will satisfy you, that the next moment will finally quench your thirst, that the, the next drink will finally make you satisfied, that the next rush of endorphins through your body will ease the aching of your soul, but its promises are hollow and they are empty because sin never satisfies the thirsting of the soul. The prophet described it this way in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 8, It shall even be as when a hungry man dreams and look, he eats. But he awakes and his soul is still empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreams and look, he drinks. But he awakes and indeed he is faint and his soul still craves. Isaiah said you, you keep dreaming that this or that will satisfy your soul. But in the end you wake up and discover that the emptiness is still there. The aching is still there. The longing is still there. That deep hunger of your soul uh, simply will not be satisfied by the things of this world. There's a thirsting in each and every one of us. There's a thirsting deep in our souls that none of the wells of this world can ever satisfy. That's the yearning that was aching in David's soul when he longed for a drink from Bethlehem's well. But David came to realize that no drink from an earthly well would ever satisfy that thirst. However, the prophet promised that a fountain of the Lord would forever satisfy the very thirst of humanity, and that it would ultimately flow out of the house of David. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 1, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. A well of salvation, a well of refreshing, a well that satisfies the deep longing of the soul. A well that can do what nothing in this world could ever do. Isaiah said in the 12th chapter and the 3rd verse, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. There was a well dug in Bethlehem. No, it's not the well of David. No, it's not the well of the song. It's a well of refreshment. 
refreshing uh, that was born in the city of David. Uh, it was dug in obscurity. Uh, it was dug in the darkness of the night. Uh, it was dug by the light of a single star. It was not dug in a palace. It was dug in a stable. And there humble shepherds came to see the opening of the well. There wise men rejoiced when that well was dug. And the very first gush of living water entered this world. The very angels of heaven uh, began to sing to the hillside. And shepherds, uh, glory to God uh, in the highest. Uh, peace on earth uh, and goodwill to men. I come to tell somebody in this house this morning that there is a well in Bethlehem. That there's a stream that flows through an old rugged cross. That God has kept his promise. That he has poured out his spirit upon the thirsty souls uh, of men and women. The gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is the well of salvation. Jesus is uh, that fountain that was opened uh, in the house of David. Uh, and with joy, like the prophet said, uh, with joy you can drink uh, from the well uh, of salvation. It's in this house uh, this morning morning. It's flowing through this place uh, today. Jesus Christ uh, is the living water that your thirsty soul longs for. With his own life's blood, he purchased this refreshing that your soul longs for. He fought through the legions that were encamped round about you. He battled the enemy that sought to destroy you. He drew deeply from the refreshing well of salvation and he has come to pour it out upon all who are thirsty. Can somebody in this place recognize, uh, amen, there is a well that was paid for with the blood uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, it required a tremendous sacrifice. Uh, it cost him everything. Uh, the God of the universe, the ancient of days, uh, the one who was and is and forever will be, abandoned his throne for a simple manger in Bethlehem. He traded kingly robes uh, for a body of flesh and blood. Uh, he humbled himself to the point of death. He hung on a cross as the sacrifice for our sins. And he did it all to open up a well of refreshing that flows out of Bethlehem through an old rugged cross and into this house this morning. That's why Jesus could say in John chapter 4 and verse 14, But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That's why he could say in John chapter 7 and verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, and it shall come to pass, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. In the last days, God said, I'm going to turn the bucket upside down. In the last days, God said, I'm going to take that well, that water that was drawn from that well that was paid for with precious blood, and I'm going to pour it out on anybody who is hungry, on anybody who is thirsty, on anybody who desires it. I'm in this pulpit this morning because someone's soul is thirsty. If you were honest with yourself, if for just a moment we could push past the facade and the front and all the things that you keep up for appearances, 
There is a deep and persistent longing in the heart. There's a deep and persistent aching for something more, for something real that is crying out, oh, that someone would give me a drink from the well of Bethlehem. Oh, that I could taste of those sweet waters that would satisfy my soul. Sir, ma'am, you need to come to the well. You need to let God pour out a blessing on your life. Whatever you do, don't let the enemy of your soul keep you from the waters of the well this morning. Whatever you have to do, don't let the enemy stop you from getting to where you need to get to to receive the blessing that you need to receive. You see, hell will always put a garrison in Bethlehem. Hell will always make it difficult for you to find your way to that place of refreshing, but you owe it to yourself uh, to do whatever it takes uh, to get a drink from this well. You may have to fight through the enemy. You may have to fight through your own pride and arrogance. You may have to humble yourself in the presence of God. But whatever you have to do, listen to this preacher this morning. One drink uh, from this well uh, is worth whatever it costs you. It's worth whatever sacrifice you have to make. It's worth whatever you have to push through. One drink of this living water will satisfy your soul. In the closing chapter of the book of Revelation, John, under the inspiration of God, writes one final invitation into the Word of God. It says in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst Come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Come and drink from this well of living water. Come and drink from this well of everlasting satisfaction. Come and be filled with living water, with water that revives the the very soul, water that refreshes the heart of man, water that makes everything brand new. But there's a deeper meaning to that simple invitation that gets lost in the translation from the Greek to the English. The verb come in the original language is in the present iterative imperative tense. An imperative is a command. The term iterative has to do with repetition. And the present tense nature of the verb denotes an ongoing action. In other words, the spirit and the bride are saying, come and keep on coming. Drink and keep on drinking. Don't ever stop. Don't ever back away. You never get finished. The water from this well will sustain you. It'll keep you. It'll carry you through whatever life brings to you. But you've got to keep drinking from the well. That's the problem. Too many of us view the invitation as a one-dimensional event. But that's not what the riches of the language of Scripture declares. The invitation is about more than a single incident. 
It's about more than just a single moment where you surrender yourself to God. It's about a lifetime of drinking from that soul-satisfying water of eternal life. It's about a lifetime of drinking from the well of salvation. However, so many, even some of those under the sound of my voice today, will hear that invitation and will walk away thirsty. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1 says, Ho, everyone that think thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Perhaps there is no passage anywhere in Scripture that better captures the grace of God than that Scripture. He offers us what we need the most. Uh, he offers us what we're hungry for, what we desire, what is most precious to us, and He offers it without cost. He offers it without money. He calls to those who have no money, those who are destitute, those who are broken, those who are poor, those who have no means to save themselves. And he says, come and drink. Come and quench your thirst. Come and drink from the well that I've already paid for. But the prophet goes on to lament in the next verse. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not, hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. There is a fountain that has already been paid for. There is a fountain uh, that is ready and willing, that is open to whosoever will. But so many turn away from that fountain. Uh, so many turn away from that promised refreshing and try to satisfy their souls with the things of this life. Those things have no capacity to meet the thirst that's in you. The Lord said through His prophet, I offer you living water. I offer you the bread of life. I give it to you without cost. You don't have to purchase it. It's freely given. You have only to receive it, but you would rather go and spend your money. Go and spend your resources. Go and spend yourself and empty your life pursuing water that will never quench your thirst. Uh, chasing after bread uh, that will never satisfy the longing of your soul. The prophet goes on to say just a few verses later in verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. There's an urgency in the voice of the prophet. He says, seize the moment. Uh, recognize the opportunity. Recognize the moment that you're in. Uh, seek the Lord uh, while he may be found. Uh, the scary part of that, that is the implication that there will come a time when he may not be found. The implication is that if you walk away from this well, you have no promise that you'll ever hear the invitation again. So Isaiah says, Seek him while he may be found. Why don't you run to the well? 
Why don't you throw yourself on an altar? Why don't you take everything that has burdened your soul and lay it in the presence of God and let Him lift those burdens from you and let Him wash you clean in the blood of Jesus and let Him fill you up with that refreshing living water. Why would you ever leave this place thirsty? You may have heard of those great theologians, Calvin and Hobbes, on the Sunday funny pages. They discussed this dilemma in their comic strip one day. Calvin said to Hobbes, getting is better than having. When you get something, it's new and exciting. When you have something, you take it for granted, and it becomes boring. But Hobbes answers with profound wisdom. But everything you get, he says, turns into something that you have. I don't believe it's ever been said any better. The heart without God, it's constantly longing. It's constantly desiring. It's constantly reaching. It constantly wants to get something new, something better, something that will satisfy it. It leads people on a perpetual search, uh, an unending, unsatisfying quest uh, for fulfillment. The heart without God uh, is constantly chasing a new thing, uh, a new pleasure, a new accomplishment, uh, some new way to feel good about itself, only to discover that the glitter wears off, that that which is new becomes old, that what you get soon becomes something that you already have, and it fails to satisfy the longing of your soul. Would you stand with me? Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Thankfully, that's not the way it has to end. There is a well that flows out of Bethlehem, there's a stream that runs through an old rugged cross. There is a place of refreshing. There is a fountain of living water. And it, and it alone can satisfy the longing of your soul. And I want to challenge someone in this house on a Sunday morning to seek Him while He may be found. To drink while the water is flowing. To come and find rest and find refreshing for your soul. Uh, amen. While the refreshing is here and available. I'm asking somebody under the sound of my voice. Uh, amen. I, I'm not necessarily calling for the rank center. I'm not necessarily calling for somebody under guilt and condemnation. But I'm calling for somebody that is weak and that is weary. That is tired. Uh, amen. I'm calling for somebody that's not satisfied uh, in your soul. Uh, and I come to tell you there's a fountain uh, flowing in this house uh, that was opened in the house of David. It flows out of the city of Bethlehem that goes through an old rugged cross and it brings everlasting living water. Come. The bride and the spirit say, come. The prophets and the word of God declared it. Come. Come and drink from this well. Is there one under the sound of my voice? that would step out in faith and say, God, I believe I want a refreshing. I want a fresh touch. 
I want a freshen. Is there somebody under the sound of my voice uh, that would respond this morning to the preaching of the Word of God? Amen. And say whatever it takes. Uh, I want to push my th- my way through to that place uh, where there's a blessing. Uh, I want to push my way through to that place uh, where the anointing of God is flowing. I want to push my way through to that place uh, where the Spirit of God will minister and touch and move. I need a drink. I'm thirsty for well of living water. I'm thirsting for something that my soul longs for. I'm thirsty to drink from a fountain in Bethlehem. Would somebody come to this place this morning, lift up your voice, and call out to the Lord, and let Him pour out a refreshing let him pour out a fresh anointing. Let him pour out a, a fresh filling of his spirit. Would somebody lift your voice to him and allow the anointing of the Holy Ghost just to move in your life right now? In Jesus' name.